Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. But, but I'm excited to, to jump in to the message today that I've entitled Make an Exit. Look at your neighbor and say it's time to go. Make an exit. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, today we've not come to play church. We've come to encounter you in a real way. So Lord, I just pray that you would use, Lord, my mouth for your glory, that every word from my lips, Lord, would be communicated from your heart. And Lord, again, our our heartbeat here is that you would meet us in this time. Lord, we're here not just to get info, but Lord, that that knowledge would move us toward you and change everything about our life. So Lord, I pray that you would examine the deep places today. And uh, Lord, let us have a great time in your presence. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Well, uh, anybody ever uh, exited this exit in Livermore, North, North L? Uh, you have Chick-fil-A there. Now you have In-N-Out. It's a pretty popular exit. Well, um, you, you can exit, but then you can also jump back on. The exit and the on-ramp are you know, right across from one another. And we were leaving on a Sunday, uh, Olivia and I, my daughter, and we were getting ready to go preach. I was getting ready to go preach at a conference in Fresno. And we jumped on the freeway after church on a Sunday, and it was gridlock traffic, like, like dead stop. Like you're not moving, you're not inching, you're just stuck. And so I looked at Olivia and I looked at the GPS. I was like, man, we're going to be cutting it close and I kept looking at, you know, we stay there for a couple minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes in the same spot. So finally, I was like, babe, I'm going to have to do something illegal here because we have a conference to get to. And there are people that are going to be waiting to hear the gospel. I mean, this is a good cause, ladies and gentlemen. And so we're on the freeway. We're still at the top of the on-ramp. So I did what any pastor would do in this circumstance, I I reverse into the shoulder of the road and I just reverse, right? And then when I got to the the on-ramp, just took a moment, made sure there was no cars and I flipped a U-turn. And then I rode on the shoulder all the way down, made a right, came back, went the back roads and we made it. It was so amazing though, uh, how many cars followed me after I did that? I mean, even big old trucks were like, let's go. And, uh, and so we're all, cars are coming on the on-ramp looking at us like, did I get, am I okay? What's going on here? But how many of you guys know sometimes desperate times call for drastic measures? I don't recommend that. Don't try that at home. This is not driving advice. Just want to make sure that's clear. But, but where is that tenacity when it comes to our spiritual life? When it comes to dealing with sin, where is the tenacity that says, oh, no, 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 we got to turn around? See, I want to propose this to you today, that Jesus not only died to forgive our sin, but so that we can make an exit from our sin. Now, the word sin is the word hamataria, which means to miss the mark. It, It literally means ungodliness and unrighteousness, rebellion towards God that suppresses the truth. That suppresses the truth of God. 
And an exit or a, a repentance, it means to change our minds, to move in the other direction, to have an about face. Some would say that because the root word is pent, it's where we get the word penthouse. It's, it's when we, we turn and look up again and we're reminded of all that God has done for us. Can I just tell you that God is not, Jesus did not die on the cross for us just to forgive our sin, but so that we can make an exit from it so that we're no longer slaves and bound to it. In fact, we see this in Romans 6, 18. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Meaning we're no longer slaves. We're no longer bound by our sin if we are in Christ. Even though we wrestle with it, even though we still live in this fleshy body, even though we're still gonna make mistakes and blow it, uh, we are no longer slaves. And God has made full way for us to make an exit, to repent, to turn away from. Now, there, there's a, a story found in John chapter eight, uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery. I think Pastor Chris spoke on it a couple months back. I'm not gonna belabor this passage, but I do want us to read it together just for a moment. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. So we don't know what Jesus was writing in the ground. Some scholars say maybe he was writing all the Pharisees' sins and their names. We don't know. But it's interesting how this verse has become an excuse for sin. When in reality, it's an invitation away from it. You hear people say all the time, well, if you're without sin, cast the, won't you, you know, don't judge me. You're just as sinful as I am. How can you throw stones at me? But the whole context of this is Jesus is giving this woman an invitation away from sin. He says, at this, those that heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest one first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let me show, tell you right now that this is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Religion says, go leave your life of sin, then I'll forgive you. The gospel says, no, 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 I forgive you, now go. The gospel says that we leave sin from a place of approval with God because of Christ's death on the cross. We don't depart from sin trying to earn his approval. Are you with me on that? Radically changes your motivation, big time. And so Jesus said, listen, you're forgiven, so you don't have to go back to your sin. Like, you can confidently face your sin. Now, up until this point, this woman, sin had control over her. Jesus was like, you're a, you were a slave to its power. It had power over you, but I've set you free. You have been forgiven. Everybody say forgiven. And now you have the power to actually go. And so Jesus doesn't call her to stay in her sin or appease it, or he calls her out of her sin. Can I just tell you, anytime Jesus calls us out, he's calling us to something better. He's always calling us to something greater, something more fulfilling, a deeper joy, greater purpose. But it's not always easy. When God tells us to go, 
and sin no more. It's not always easy, but it is always worth it. So Jesus is like, girl, you're not guilty, but you got to go. But so often we think as we kind of read this story, I, I think we kind of, we downplayed a little bit. Because remember, this woman wasn't like, okay, Jesus, thank you. She got caught. She didn't come to Jesus looking uh, for healing or freedom. She didn't come and say, hey, Lord, I'm struggling in my adultery, sleeping with another man's wife, or maybe I'm married. We don't know. Maybe they were both married. She didn't come to him and say, oh, yeah, I just, I was really looking for, I've been looking for you my whole life. No, she was caught. She was indulging in her sin. She was living her life, and she got caught. And so when, when Jesus says go and sin no more, it doesn't always mean it's easy. I don't think even for this woman, I think that she had some extra grace. I'll talk about that in a minute, but it's hard to leave a relationship that you're involved in. Like we get into those spaces for certain reasons, whatever we're searching for, whatever we're longing for. And when you have to cut ties from a relationship, you've ever been in a relationship, a serious relationship where you're emotionally, physically invested and the Lord says, no more. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He didn't say, go do your best. He said, go make an exit. Get off the off ramp. Go and sin no more. And so have you ever been in a place where, and maybe you're in a place right now where God has told you to go, but you've stayed? Could, could it be that, that some of the dysfunctions that we're facing right now, some of the chaos in our life, some of the unfulfillment, some of the numbness, some of the spiritual decay is because we have stayed when we should have exited a long time ago? But see, the grace for her is she's facing death. Like she's waiting for rocks to hit her. People don't escape this in this ancient culture. This was not a normal moment. So I think that was an extended moment of grace to her because it was so imminent. Like she knew in that moment, my life is about to be taken from me. And so I think that gratitude and that response to Jesus probably was a little bit more than maybe some of ours because many times we're not facing imminent death. I think we stay stuck in our sin or we stay dabbling in our sin because consequences aren't always immediate. They're not always imminent. We don't always see them spiritually right away. We don't always see them practically right away. And so what ends up happening is rather than departing from our sin wholeheartedly, we settle back into it subtly. We have moments where God has forgiven us or maybe we, you know, there was a moment of grace and, or moment of realization of, man, I'm sinning against you, God. I don't want to do this. Maybe there was a, a moment of confession. But then we find ourselves creeping back subtly into this space. Nobody really knows, not really affecting anybody, not really hurting anybody. And little by little, it begins to drain the life out of you. Little by little, you start to feel a little more distant from God, a little more distant from the truth, a little more di distant in, in your devotion. Your devotional time with God becomes less and less. Your church attendance becomes less and less. And next thing you know, the enemy has a beachhead. You're like, what's a beachhead? Well, in World War II, this is a good picture. Um, this is a beach in Okinawa, and you can see what a beachhead is. It's when a, an, a military force comes by sea and occupies a part of the land or the beach, and what they do is they set up camp there. They defend the area so they can start moving inland. 
And so when we give way to sin, we, we, we give the enemy a beachhead in our life. The, the, the scripture says that we shouldn't uh, let the sun go down on our anger and give the enemy a foothold. The, the literal translation is, is an opportunity. It, it has the same notion of don't give him any space to be, then begin to infiltrate any further. And so some of us, we have stayed longer than we should have. And instead of us cutting sin, sin starts to cut us. You ever stayed longer than you should? Am I the only one? I've stayed longer than I should in a lot of things. Should have got out of this 4X Ponzi scheme when I had a chance, but I didn't. I think I lost my money. Recently, recently, I had this, this love-hate relationship with caffeine. Does anybody have that? I like quit for three months and I go back. It's like, I love you. I love you not. But for me, it, it makes, it's whatever reason, it's been making me so nervous. I mean, to the point where I'm a pastor and I'll get socially and I'm like, oh, I just, I feel so nervous. So I was like, I, I think, I think we got to cut ties once and for all. And so I kind of buried the, that relationship and uh, burying my soul to you right now. I, I wish I had some coffee this morning, but I didn't. <laughs> wish I had some Thrive, but I didn't. But here I am, live in the flesh, and I feel great. So some of us have stayed longer than we should have. I don't know why, and this is just my bout with caffeine. You know, it's a drug. I'm just saying. It's a drug. It's legal, but it's a drug. And it would cause me so much trauma, but I would still, like, give me more. And you'll see me on a Sunday. Give me another cup. Give me another one. Round four, five. I'm just, I just like coffee. But after a while, all of a sudden, it's, it's kind of like, wow, we, we, have, we have stayed here way too long. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I want you to know that a lot of times our outward struggles result from an inward worship. Whenever we stay longer than we should, it's an issue of the heart. It's a worship issue. Like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, this is, this is how Paul describes it. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that exalts itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Before this, he said that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, things that have a strong hold on us. But you see how arguments get in. A lot of times this happens in relationship with sin, is there is an argument or a presumption that exalts itself, that wants to exalt itself over the true knowledge of God. And anytime we let that happen, what we do, we start to exalt something other than him, other than the God of all creation that deserves our worship. Romans chapter one says they exchange the truth for a lie and they worship created things rather than the creator. And so what we do is we, we build this, 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 these walls around us that begin to barricade God out. We exalt something else and we push God out. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, thoughts, ideas, reasoning, philosophies, false religions are the ideological forts, like a fort, like you hide in when you were a kid, you build a fort, in which men barricade themselves against God and the gospel. And so, so why, do we do, why do we stay longer than we should? A lot of times it's rooted in a worship issue and we're trying to find something in whatever that is that we should be getting from God. So, so there, there's so many believers that I think we, we wrestle 
with the enemy. We wrestle with temptation we wrestle, and we wrestle with sin in such a way and we miss a key component and ingredient. Like there is a key in your wrestling that if you miss, you're going to be wrestling for a long time. James says in James chapter 4, verse 7, he says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, true resistance to the enemy, true resistance to sin is found in submission to Christ and the pursuit of him. I always tell people, how do I avoid sin? The worst way you can avoid sin is by trying to avoid sin. And I use this example a lot, but I'll use it again. Um, If I told you not to think of a pink elephant, don't think of a pink elephant. Boom, everybody thought of a pink elephant. And so a lot of times we spend our, our lives trying to run from sin, trying to don't think that thought, don't think that thought. The whole time we're thinking that thought. We try to avoid sin, but the reality is we should be submitting to Christ and pursuing him. And in that submission and in that pursuit, you, you, you don't leave any room for it. Like, like the, the whole game changes and God begins to renew your heart. He begins to renew your mind. And life starts to be a little bit more consistent. So it, it's not about stop trying really, really hard not to sin. No, it's about pursuing Christ, submitting to him. So I tell you, why did I do that on the freeway? Because I was in pursuit. If I didn't have anything to do that day, I probably would have sat there stuck. I would not have thought to do such an illegal thing with my daughter in the car. Who does that? Take that off the recording. Just kidding, just kidding. But I was in pursuit. There was a mission. I'm pursuing him. I know what he's called me to do. There is a pursuit at hand. And in that pursuit, It caused me to move out of that traffic, move out of that area where I was stuck. So so let me ask you this. If it's a worship issue, which means a lot of times it's a heart condition, what do we do when our heart is attacked? I was sitting in Costco at the beginning of this year. Was it maybe December or January? I can't remember. I was sitting in Costco. We were getting our eyes checked, and I had this pain in my chest super bad pain. And all of a sudden, my left arm started going numb. It started tingling. And it was so bad that I stopped being able to, like, think clearly. It hurt so bad. I was like, am I having a heart attack? Like, I'm 43. And so, so I, I, was, I was bent over. I was trying to push through, and I, I, it had me bent over. And I was like, Jack, something's wrong with me. I was like, okay, I think I'm, I'm going to be all right. So I just kind of toughed it out. Then I was like, you have to take me to the hospital. So long story short, she took me to the hospital, and uh, I had been sick. So I had been coughing so much. My ribs were sore because I had been coughing so much. They're like, Pastor, you got issues. I do. And, uh, and so I show up to the hospital, and I said, listen, I don't think I'm having a heart attack, but I don't know what is going on, all the signs, symptoms. So they checked me out, and they said, yeah, what ended up happening was my, my cartilage in my rib cage was inflamed, and it gives the same symptoms of a heart attack. And so, you know, they're examining me. They're putting all the EKG stuff on me. But the cool thing was my nurse um, knows people that go to our church. So I invited her to church. I asked her, how could I be praying for you? God just works it out, right? And I took some Advil and it started to, to subside. But the whole thing was this. When your heart's attacked, you have to examine what is going on. And Jesus said this. Jesus said a great way to examine is this. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So when Jesus came, he didn't come to like lower the bar. He raised it. All the Pharisees are like, yeah, we're good. Then he says this. They're like, man, 
were not so good. If your right eye causes you to stumble, get drastic. Desperate times require desperate measures. Gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Could you imagine that? Like, I hate this arm. Throw it away. I'm moving on. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Now, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, get drastic with your sin. And that whatever you're embracing and beholding is connected to your heart. It's going to affect you. So if, if you're getting a heart attack, you want to look and you want to examine, what am I embracing and what am I beholding? Because your hand and your eyes affect your heart. The things that you're reaching for, the things that you're gazing upon. And I'm not just talking about physically. I'm like, what is your heart just locked in? What are you so fixed on? And what ends up happening is your hands and your eyes will affect your heart. There's a connection there. And then your heart is going to affect your relationship with God. And your relationship with God is going to affect the entire course of your life. And so when you're having a heart attack, you want to examine your eyes. You want to examine your hands. What am I embracing? What am I beholding? God, what are you saying? So a good indication of what's happening in your heart is when we pay attention to what we're embracing and what we're beholding. So I just want to ask you one question today. We can't do beholding because I'll be here all day and you won't even get to lunch. So we're just going to do embracing today. We're just talking about what are we embracing. And I just I want to ask you a question. I want you to process this question with the Holy Spirit, both today in service and as you leave. And it's this, it's just what am I embracing? Like, what am I reaching for? I remember hearing a, a German folklore, what they would do to try to figure out what their kids would become when they were older, is they would set out a table. And on the table, they would put a Bible, money, stack of money, and a bottle of wine. And then the grandfather would take the son or the granddaughter and say, hey, go and grab one. And whatever they grabbed would determine like an outcome of their life, right? If they grab money, they might go into business. If they grab Bible, maybe they'll go into ministry. If they grab the bottle of wine, it's going to be some trouble, right? And so a grandfather sets his son out on this trajectory one day, and his grandson out, and he says, okay, go and grab one. So the kid goes, and he looks intently. He's young, maybe like four years old, and he grabs the Bible. And the grandmother's like, oh, he's going to be a minister. And then he opens the Bible, and he puts the stack of money in there, <laughs> closes the Bible, and then runs. And the grandfather's like, this is terrible. We have to pray for this young man. His wife was like, what's wrong? He's like, he's going to be a politician. We're in trouble. Pastor jokes. The, the bottom line is this. Whatever you're reaching for is going to impact your life. Whatever you're holding close to your heart, whatever you're embracing is going to either move you away from God or closer to him. So what are you embracing? Is it like Pastor James said, is it the busyness of life where you are so consumed that you have a fort around you, there is no room for God? There's just no space for him. Is it resentment that's buried in there? Maybe gossip, maybe laziness. Sloth is not a good thing. Gluttony. We don't talk about gluttony in the church. Probably should, though. Pleasure unforgiveness, or are you embracing fame? Is it power? 
Are you embracing attention? Is it world's, the world's ideology? Is it sexual immorality? Is it deception? Is it slander? Is it bitterness? Are you giving the enemy a beachhead in your heart? And I'm telling you, when we harbor, we stay in these things, he continues to do that. So what am I embracing? There's a story I want to read to you guys of a gentleman who uh, was a neighbor of this man. And he wrote his, he was writing to his neighbor. He said, dear Frank, being a neighbor to you six tumultuous years has been terrible. When you borrowed my tiller, you returned it in pieces. When I was sick, you blasted music. When your dog went to the bathroom on my lawn, you laughed. I could go on and on, but I am not one to hold grudges. So I am writing you this letter to tell you your house is on fire. Sincerely, Bob. Some of you, you'll get that in the car. What are you embracing? What are you holding on to? Is, is it stuff? You know, Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did heaven and hell. Why? Because we are so lured away by stuff just consuming us. Joshua chapter 7, verse 20 and 21. It's a story. If you're in your one-year Bible, you would have read this a, a few days ago. It's interesting that there were some things that God said, hey, um, these particular items are devoted to me. Don't touch them. But Achan, he liked them. Some silver, some, some things that he was attracted to. And so Achan replied, so let me give you the backstory. So long story short, they beat, defeat Jericho. Walls come down, amazing. And then they go out to try to fight another battle and they, they lose. And they're wondering like, what in the world is going on? And the Lord said, well, you, like there's sin in the camp. And they're like, what? Like sin in the camp? What are you talking about? So it turns out, that a man by the name of Achan is, is, is caught guilty. And he said, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, among the plunder. I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. Oh, I could just picture myself in that robe. 200 silver coins, a bar of gold weighing more than a pound, and I wanted them so much that I took them. Do you see the worship moment? These things are supposed to be devoted to God. So what, what happened? An idea exalted itself, temptation over the true knowledge of God. And he begins to worship the created instead of the creator. And he thinks it's going to be okay because he says, they're hidden in the ground. I, I buried them. So nobody sees. It's like, you can't even, can I just tell you, you will never enjoy your sin. You'll always be fighting to bury it and you'll never be able to really enjoy it. It's like, man, it's so cool. I got some gold under there. So cool, I got a nice robe that I'll never be able to wear. Such a lie. He says, I hid him beneath my tent, but oh, but look at this. But with the silver, I buried that a little deeper. Because that one really has my heart. If you find the robe and the gold, cool, but not the silver. And he's probably thinking it's not, not a big deal. Can I just tell you, this ended up killing him and his family. And affected the whole community. 3,000 soldiers were affected because of this man's secret sin. The Bible says that the sin that is done in secret will be brought into, whatever is done in secret will be brought into the open. Can I just ask you, was there a secret sin that you've buried? 
that you've yet to deal with, that you think nobody knows, it's not going to affect anybody, but it has built a fort around your heart, and you wonder why there's no life. And you can't even enjoy it. It's just buried. And God is drawing you to the cross. God is wooing you to the cross, but you've hidden some things that are blocking you. And the Lord's like, man, let's deal with those. You have embraced some things you should have never embraced. There's some devoted things. Can I just tell you, your body, the Bible says, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's a devoted thing. The way we care for our bodies, the way we treat our bodies, the things that we do, can I just tell you, it's supposed to be unto the Lord. Remember, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all of our strength. Not some. With all of it. And so what happens, like I told you, becomes not just a... uh, 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 an outside issue. It becomes a worship issue. It becomes an idol issue. These are idols right here. I'm just going to bury the idols deeper. I know they belong to God, but I'm taking them for myself. I know what God's instruction says, but I don't care. I'm taking them for myself because I really need that. Any idol, what we're doing is we're saying, I know that I'm going to find life in you that I'm not going to find in God. It's the greatest lie of the enemy. It's exactly what he did to Eve in the garden. Listen, God just knows that if you eat of the fruit, you're going to be like him. He's holding out on you. There's more outside of him. But it becomes a worship issue. Let me show you how this works. When we embrace lying, we we end up worshiping ourselves. Because saving face is more important than honoring God. Or, Or getting something that we want or need is more important than honoring God. Embracing sexual immorality. Worshiping sex, pleasure, and relationships. When people come up and God say, hey, man, I have a porn issue. I'm like, no, you have a worship issue. It's a worship issue. something that you have exalted over the true knowledge of God. That leads us into a place of bondage and captivity. Because eventually we give the enemy a beachhead and he starts making his way inland. Next thing you know, he's occupying more and more territory. It's, it's a worship issue. When we embrace apathy, oh, you know, let's do the church thing. I mean, make disciples. All that stuff is way too much work. You're like, I know what God says, but when we embrace apathy, what do we do? We're worshiping the comfort of this life. Like, that's more important than the mission of God to us. When, when we embrace culture, ideology, we, we worship feelings and desires. Well, I just feel, well, I just think, even though God says, and so truth no longer becomes objective, but relative to each person. It's idolatry. And we worship them because hopefully in them we'll find security, identity, and purpose. That's what we're looking for. And when they can't deliver, we get hurt, broken, stuck, and then eventually the wages of sin is death. And that, that was a clear sign with Achan. So you're like, what do we do? What do I embrace? Solomon says this in Proverbs 4.13. He says, take hold of my instruction. Embrace my instruction. Embrace me. Don't let them go. Guard them, for they are the key to life. What if I told you there was a place where your spirit would be strengthened every day, where hope would be lifted, where grace is shown towards sin, where discouragement is met with mercy, and God is always there? Would you not change your plans to be at that place every single day? Like, doesn't that sound amazing? And it's not, it's not really far-fetched. It's, it's, it's right in reach. The question is, will you embrace it? Jesus said it this way. He said, 
When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Truly, I tell you, they already have their full reward. But when you pray, go into your inner room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The secret place, the place where you shut the door and it's you and God. Prayer and the scripture. I think one of the highest forms of prayer is sitting and meditating on the word of God. Listening to the word of God. And so we see Jesus often withdrawing to this place. Why? To sustain his ministry. Because Jesus was fully God and fully man. There was still a a very uh, human side to him. What else? Break fear from the free of man. Signs and wonders. Every time he came out of the secret place, signs and wonders were happening. See, the secret place is the key to power and authority in our life. It's the key to security, and it's the key to our identity. Our identity has got to be rooted in Christ. And can I just tell you, it is shaped, informed, and fostered in the secret place. When you try to conduct or construct an identity in the modern world today, it's very complicated and hard. The world says you can define yourself and invent an identity for yourself. And now it's gotten way out of hand across the boards. But this has been happening forever, right? So you can create an identity for yourself. You can invent an identity, and then the rest of the world exists to affirm that identity. And I'm not just talking about sexually. And you're going to see where I'm going in a minute. But even in the elementary school of of psychology, Freud Freud would say something like this. We don't know who's going to show up. Like, who's going to show up? Is it going to be your authentic self? Is it going to be your immature self? Is it going to be your ego-driven self? Is it going to be your wise self? Is it going to be your crazy self? We don't know on any given day who's going to show up. So to say, whatever's in your heart, do it. Do whatever's in your heart is to say, is to say, do whatever you feel like in the moment. And you cannot build a life or a society with that framework. It it doesn't work. It's too fragile, and it's external. And so what do you need? You need a thousand reaffirmations that you're going to be okay. And the moment somebody challenges you and says, no, I don't think that's you, what? How dare? It crumbles. There's no security. It's threatened by everything external. Are you guys tracking with me? And it becomes exhausting to perform an identity. It becomes exhausting. So the key is not... Creating an identity, the key is receiving an identity and who God says that you are. That's the key. And it's way better than you making up an identity of who you think you are. And like I said, I'm not just talking about a sexual identity, even though that's so prevalent today. People are trying to find their identity in so many things, career, success. They're trying to find all this in the moment. If it's money and success, the moment it's all gone, they crumble. It's fragile. It's externally sustained, and it doesn't work. And you can take it across the board. Anytime we're trying to find our identity outside of Christ, that's, you say, well, what does identity have to do with sin? Why do you think we pursue these things? Because we're looking for life. We're looking for security. We're looking for identity. We're looking for hope. We're looking for purpose. And it's found only in him. Henry Nouwen says it this way. He says, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Jesus himself entered into the furnace 
There he was tempted with three compulsions of the world, to be relevant, turn stones into loaves, to be spectacular, throw yourself down, and to be powerful, I will give you all these kingdoms. There he affirmed God is the only source of his identity. As Jesus said, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter at the very same time. The struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. Meaning when you're hard pressed and your identity is rooted in him, when you're tempted on every side, when all these external pressures, you're not shaken like a cultural identity because there's substance. There's substance of the love of God. There's substance of the life of God. God himself as the foundation of who you truly are. And you're able to withstand outside pressures, temptation, sin, all these different things. Why? Because there is an inward construct. That's why Jesus was so secure. He never defended himself because he knew who he was. And it wasn't based on anything external. It was the father saying, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's it. It was the father's affirmation of who he was and what he came to do. Jesus knew who he was. And it wasn't anchored in outside external things. It was anchored in the reality of who he is, God in the flesh. Peace, security, no need to prove himself. Are you guys with me on this? And so, so, so my, my, my question is this. Well, let, let me just give you this one last picture. The, the disciple John. You know, he was the only disciple at the cross. All the other disciples fled. But John constantly referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Always. So John, what John knew was this. John knew that he was not just a disciple for Jesus. He was chosen and loved by God. There were moments where disciples would be kind of disputing some things, and John is laying his head on Jesus' chest like, I know that I am anchored in you. And so when the pressure hit the fan, the only one at the cross was John because he knows he's not just a disciple for him. Know that he's been chosen by him. His identity is anchored and rooted in that foundation. And so, so sin on the outside, you're like, okay, why do we, what does this have to do with sin? Because remember, sin on the outside, as we're wrestling with this, is, is you say, what does this have to do with sin? Again, when we sin, we are looking for life outside of God. We're looking for identity. We're looking for fulfillment. We're looking for purpose. But could you imagine if we just hold and embrace God and his instructions? Solomon said it's the key to life. It will open doors that you never thought possible. You know, in Beth Shean in Israel, I wish we could go here when we go to Israel, but, you know, this is, this is a spring in the middle of the desert. It's called like Gashalolia or something. It's in the middle of the wilderness. It's called the, the Three Springs. And what's beautiful is this. It's surrounded by wilderness, but, but it, it draws all these people to come and enjoy the glory of these springs. It brings refreshment. It brings life. But you know what's so awesome is these springs are, are, are not affected by what's happening above them because they're fed from what's underneath. They're fed from the secret place. These springs are not filled from the rain. They're filled from the ground up. And so everything on the outside has to contend with this spring bubbling up on the inside. And it provides life. It, it provides, it's very attractive for people in the desert. I just wonder 
if we could get this picture that the secret place is like a spring. Jesus, when he met the woman at the well, lost in her sin, he said, listen, I know know you're here to draw water. But if you would draw the water that I give, if you would drink from me, you would never thirst again. Matter of fact, it would be like a spring on the inside of you bubbling up. You're not moved by all of these external forces because you're filled from the inside out. Could you imagine if we hid the word of God in our relationship and prayer with him so close, embraced it so deeply that everything on the outside had to contend with what was overflowing on the outside. I feel like God gave me a great picture of this yesterday. Somebody in our, in our, in our uh, uh, street knocked over a fire hydrant. And I was like, this is, thank you, Lord. A spring bubbling out. Imagine, listen, nobody can touch that spring. Like if you get close, it's gonna blow you off because it's bubbling so much. Kids get to play on the outskirts of it. But I tell you what, anything tries to get in the center of that thing, it's too powerful. I think so many times we're trying to fight off external temptations. We're trying to fight our sin in our own strength and we're we're neglecting to embrace the secret place. The weapons that we fight with, they're not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of these things that have a stronghold on our life. Things that are exalting itself over the true knowledge of God. So what am I saying today? I'm saying, hey, it's time to get back in the secret place. It's time to get back to that place that, that, that everything that would come our way would be thrusted and impacted by this living spring on the inside of us. Doesn't that sound so refreshing? That doesn't sound like, oh, I got to, man, turning away from my sin. No, 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 no. Imagine if you repent, turn to God, start pursuing him. Let him produce this spring on the inside of you. That all the outside forces, can I just tell you, a fish in the salt water that's been soaking for 30 years, the moment you take that thing out and you gut it, first thing you need to add is what? Salt. If God can keep a fish from being salted on the inside, surely he can keep his people from being damaged on the inside. That we could be a spring that people would be drawn to and attractive. You know how attractive this place is? Because people are like, there's a deeper well. There's a deeper life. Everything around it is dead except there. I want that. I want to take a dip in that place. I think sometimes we make evangelism so tough. If we would just live with God and let that spring bubble up, there's a lot of thirsty people out. Hashtag H2O. Let's pray. Will you stand to your feet? Lord, I just thank you for this reality. Said that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, can I just encourage you today to ask the question with the Holy Spirit, what are you embracing that you should be letting go? Where are you staying where you should be exiting? Make the exit today. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus and today is the time to make the exit. Maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, but you've fallen back into sin and you've given the enemy a beachhead and you know it. Because even as I'm preaching, you're like, oh man, I know it. Can I just say that is the grace of God inviting you to take an exit, inviting you back 
back into his presence to wash you clean. To get you out of bondage. Deception. For you to experience freedom. So I'm going to ask firstly, if you don't know Jesus and you're like, Pastor Matt, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. I need forgiveness of my sin. Like you don't even maybe know what this is all about, but you know God is calling you today. If that's you, would you slip up your hand if you're here and that's you? I just want to see who you are. Yep, I see your hand, sir. Thank you. So good. God knew you were going to be here today. Well, let me ask a second question. Maybe you're a believer, but you've been living in sin. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know the stuff that you buried. I want to pray for you today, and I want to invite you to do something that's going to be bold and brave. I want you to, conf- I want you to encourage you to confess that to somebody on our team prayer team's going to be up here. Just let them know. You don't have to go into details, but man, I've been, I've been trapped in some sin. And I just want to encourage you, man. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed because you may need some help on the journey. So let us help you. Let us walk with you. Don't be ashamed. I just told you I was addicted to caffeine, putting myself on the line today. But I tell you what, God has delivered me from a whole lot more than that. So Lord, I just pray for everybody today. Lord, would you stir it up? Lord, I pray that your conviction would move us to repentance, healing, and freedom. And like the lady, you said, hey, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't have to get caught, but we would bring our stuff to you now. We would unbury and say, Lord, here it is. I confess it to you. I want to do life with you. I don't want anything to exalt itself over you. It's me and you. So if you need to confess some things to the Lord today, do that. We want to walk with you. We want to stand with you. We want to pray for you. But for those of you who raise your hands to receive Jesus, maybe you need to return to, to the Lord. Let's pray this with them together. Just say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender. I don't understand it all, but I know you're calling me. And I believe today that you died and rose from the dead so that I would be forgiven set free a new life I confess you as my Lord and I turn to you turning from my sin I repent forgive me wash me cleanse me make me new I surrender my life to you in Jesus name everybody said amen, amen. thank you again for tuning in to the fountain podcast where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.